Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. Well, welcome, everyone. So thrilled to have you with us today as we dive into the, this next season, the Christmas season, the season that we know it's going to happen on December 25th. It is no surprise, but each year God wants to speak to us and have a message for us. I believe he has that for us this year as well. If you're online, we're thrilled to have you with us today as part of the church family. Welcome to you wherever you're watching or listening today. You know, we kick off this season in a way this year that, that liturgical churches do every year in our faith, and it's a season that they refer to or call Advent. Advent starts after the Sunday after Thanksgiving and goes till Christmas. Now, in my family, uh, we didn't grow up going to churches, and I wasn't a part of churches that celebrated Advent, so I didn't really know anything about what Advent was. I didn't know really anything about it, and I didn't learn really about it until uh, our family started uh, doing Advent as a family. We'd buy the Advent calendars and, and kind of raise our kids up doing Advent. So that's when we discovered and learned all about Advent. And maybe some of you are or were like me, and so I want to get us kind of on the same page as we dive into this Advent season. What is Advent? Well, Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming or arrival. Advent, Adventus is actually a translation of the Greek word parousia, meaning coming, and the most famous uh, passages in Scripture about the coming of Jesus Christ are 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that talk about the parousia or the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, you get into the history a little bit, you realize scholars uh, believed that Advent really took place or started taking place during about the 4th or 5th century in Spain and in the surrounding regions. And Advent was, uh, according to them, was initially, was a season of preparation for new Christians who would be baptized in January at a feast that was called the Feast of Epiphany. And it was celebrated at this time, and so Christians would spend the 40 days uh, leading up to that in penance and in prayer and in fasting for the, to prepare for the coming uh, or, or advent of this season. By the 6th century, scholars say that Roman Christians had started tying Advent to the second coming of Christ, those Thessalonians passages, the parousia of Christ. And then it was during the Middle Ages that the Advent season was explicitly linked to Christ's first coming at Christmas. So, a fuller picture of Advent might be more something like this, that it's a celebration of Christ's first coming, but with a hopeful anticipation of his second coming. Just like Israel longed for their Messiah to come, so you and I as Christians, as Christ followers, we are longing, or at least I hope, we're longing for the return of Jesus again, our Savior. Now, one of the most common Advent traditions involves an evergreen wreath and some candles. 
And, and, and the Advent wreath will typically have uh, five candles involved in the wreath. And there'll be three candles that are the same color, typically purple, which represents, purple represents royalty. So this is the coming of the king. And then you would have, so that'd be week one, week two, and week four. And then the third week uh, typically represents uh, um, um, joy because the, the four ways you celebrate Advent were based on hope and faith and joy and peace. So you have hope and faith and joy and peace. And the reason joy is red because it's joy and, and it's pink or red or rose colored. Though some tra uh, traditions say that the pink one or rose colored or red one represents more the crucifixion of Jesus. And then you have in the center the white candle that's lit on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. And that is uh, what's referred to as the Christ candle the Christ candle. So the essence of Advent is that the Christ has come and that he will come again. So today we're going to kick off Advent uh, by focusing on week one, which is the first candle, which is the candle of hope. The candle of hope. Let's try that again. Now, the candle of hope is also referred to, hope is also referred to as the prophecy candle. It reminds us of the hope that God gave his people when he promised them through the prophecies, through the scriptures. He promised them that he would send them a Messiah, a Savior, a Deliverer. And that promise was fulfilled in the birth of Jesus but the candle also marks uh, this idea of you and I as Christians being able to look forward in hope to the day of Christ's second coming, his second uh, coming, the parousia, the adventus, when all the promises of God would ultimately be fulfilled. Now, when it comes to this idea of hope, um, I can't help but think that God really knew what he was doing by sending the Savior in the form of an infant. I think it actually was a brilliant idea. Why? Because I, I think you might agree with me that when you look at an infant, when you look at a little toddler or a baby, I mean, that is hope personified. Why? Because babies are full of pure potential. Their lives are all about the future and, and what they could or will become and their hope personified in, in babies. Now, speaking of babies, the Delfts family has a brand new addition. The Delfts family has a new baby in our family. You could consider it a festus, festivus miracle, if you will. And here's the Delfts new baby right there. If you've heard me in my sermons over the year, you're like, there's no way that's yours. Yes, that is Jasper, named after, a, I used to watch a show in high school called The White Shadow, and then one of the basketball players' name was Wardell Jasper Stone. And No, that's not really the reason, but I, actually, I do call him Wardell Jasper Stone. Uh, but uh, he was named after my grandpa's dog, Jasper. Well, it was a stuffed dog, but he was old, and so my dad, oh, my grandpa just wanted a stuffed animal. But anyway, so that's Jasper, and he's been added to our family, this little, little cute little dog, I can't believe I have it. And uh, um, so in, in light of the Seinfeld Festivus miracle on Christmas Day, we will be doing the airing of grievances. And I'll speak about all the reasons I don't want the dog. <laughs> Babies are hope personified. I mean, how many of us as parents, when we look at our little infant, toddler or infant or child or baby, and they're, li they're lying in their crib and 
we look at them and we pray over them and we pray for them. And we think, man, what are they going to become? What will they be like? Who will they be? What are they going to accomplish? What will they do? Whose lives are they going to impact? And I imagine that Mary had even more than that usual maternal pride to justify her great hope because of the angel that delivered the message. Gabriel came and gave her this promise in Luke chapter 1. He said, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you'll name him Jesus and he'll be very great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David who was a king. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And not only that, but but Joseph, Mary's future husband, he also received a promise from the angel in Matthew chapter 1 when the angel appeared to him and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. Take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son And you're to name him Jesus. Why? Because he is going to save his people from their sins. Man, what hope they must have had looking at their little baby Jesus and and seeing the promises of God are all going to be fulfilled in this little infant. Knowing that through little baby Jesus, infant Jesus, that he would, would bring and offer forgiveness of sins for all the people that through him, people would find true and lasting peace, that through him, he would set up his eternal kingdom of justice and righteousness, a savior, a deliverer, a king. The hope and the anticipation that Mary and Joseph had, hope, hope. And you know, that's one of the distinguishing marks for you and I as Jesus followers. That's a distinguishing mark of our faith, of our religion, that it is a faith, it is a religion of hope. And biblical hope is very different than our typical usage of hope. When you and I say, hey, I hope that happens or I hope that doesn't happen, we use that term more in a sense of it's, it's, it's wishful thinking, right? We hope we'll get this gift. We hope we don't, you know, catch COVID. We hope we get this promotion. We hope it's, it's, it's wishful thinking. But biblical hope is much more. Biblical hope is a secure assurance. It's a confident anticipation and expectation that something will indeed come true. And so there was this vibe among the Jewish people in the first century. They were believing and expecting that the Messiah was going to come in their lifetime. They were believing he would rescue them from their oppressors and set up his kingdom. They they were believing God was going to come through on his promises. And so Mary and Joseph, they look at this infant child and they think and they look, here he is the fulfillment of the promises of God. My question is, do you have the same kind of hope yourself? Do you have the same kind of expectation, the confident expectation that God will fulfill his promises in your life today and and in the life to come? Scholars estimate that that, uh, 48 specific messianic prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus. 
And actually over 300 prophetic scriptures were completed in the life of Jesus. And we look at that and we say, man, I can have the confident expectation, the assurance, the hope that the Messiah has come and scripture tells us he will return again. And I can have the hope and the trust that that will indeed happen. He will return. He will reign. He will come again. Adventus, our faith is a faith of hope. Hope for tomorrow, but also a hope for today. I want you to hear how the Apostle Paul talks about it. He says this in Colossians chapter 3. He says, since you and I have been raised to new life with Christ. In other words, it's already happened. We've already been raised to this new life. Since we have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in place at the honor of God's right hand. Think about, or some translations say, set your minds on the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Paul says the more that you and I can set our minds on the realities of heaven, on the things above, the more it allows us to live and experience the life Jesus has for us now, life to the fullest here and now. Paul says, focus on the world to come. Focus on the world to come. We have all the prophecies fulfilled in the first coming, and so we can be confident to know he is coming again. Adventus, he will return and we can focus on all that heaven has in store for us, that heaven is waiting for us. And when you and I focus and set our sights on the realities of heaven, we can live right now, today, with the confident expectation that God's going to fulfill his promises, that God's going to move God's going to move in my life, that God's going to act in my life, that God's going to answer prayers, that God's going to provide, he's going to lead, he's going to guide and direct me in his will every day, that that's how I can experience victory here and now. And yet as true as that is, that I can experience that hope in God, that he fulfill his promises here and now, I've discovered hope isn't automatic. In fact, sometimes, haven't you figured out, it's difficult to experience this hope that, that Scripture talks about? Sometimes our circumstances are anything but hopeful. In fact, sometimes our circumstances are such that everything appears hopeless. So what do we do? How do we sustain hope in the midst of difficult, difficulty and disappointment? How do we experience hope and with the challenges of maybe our job or our health or our relationships, how do we be, keep from being completely overwhelmed by trials or pain, whether medical, financial, relational, or spiritual? How do you maintain hope when everything around you just looks like it's falling apart? When you want to feel like, man, I just want to wilt to this despair. When you look and you think, I, I don't see a way out. I, I don't see hope. Man, I want to just give in. In other words, how do you and I hold on to hope in the challenges of our life when it appears hopeless? Well, first and foremost, we want to put our trust, our hope in God and trust and hope that God will help us. Now, that seems obvious, but here's the reality. 
The reality is that we oftentimes seek help from anyone or anything else before we turn to God. Do a life audit real quick. Has that been true of you or more true in your life? That you turn to anywhere or anything else before you come to God? My dad used to have a, a, a plaque on his, uh, on his wall in the garage. He had his workbench, and over the workbench was this large plaque. And it said this, when all else fails, follow directions. And, and that was just kind of my dad and kind of his motto. He just tried to figure things out in life. And that, you know, I guess that can be a life motto, but I just wonder, is that how it is sometimes with us and God? Where we've exhausted every other option before we've turned to God. So if the problem's financial, we try to figure it out and rack our brains trying to figure out how is it that we can, you know, get more cash. If the problem is relational, you know, we go to the books or the conferences or the counselors or the mentors, and then maybe as a last resort, we might finally turn to God for his help. It's all backwards. How about we come to God first? that we turn to God first and not last, that we seek God first through the wise counsel of others, but we go to God first, not last, not when all else fails. Listen to how the psalmist describes it in Psalm 33. He says this, he says, no king is saved by the size of his army. No warriors escape by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. On those whose hope, say the word hope. On those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope, say the word hope. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him, our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, as we put our hope, say one more time, hope. Put our hope in you. Is a psalmist saying, you, uh, you know, a king shouldn't have large armies or warriors shouldn't ride horses? No, of course not. He's saying that even if a king has a large army or a well-equipped army, that doesn't guarantee success. If we're relying on that for victory, if our hope is in all of those things, we will be defeated. Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. God delights in rescuing those whose hope is in him that he would be their help. What did he say in the passage? The psalmist said, God's eyes are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them. And then the psalmist said, then God will be your help. Then God will be your shield. You see, God is more valuable than all the armies of the world. Now, of course, I'm not saying we don't go to the doctor when we're sick. I'm not saying we don't go to the bank when we need money or we go to a counselor or a mentor when we have challenge going on physically, mentally, relationally, or emotionally. But I am saying we don't put our hope in those. We put our hope in God. God may choose to use the doctor. God may choose to use a vaccine, a financial institution, a counselor, a mentor. But our hope isn't in those. Our hope is in him.
we trust, it, we trust in God to come through for us. And he may use somebody to bring that hope to us. It's not the size of the king's army that matters. It's not the size of your checking account or your savings account or your retirement account. It's not the skill of the doctor or the insight of the counselor or the mentor or the strength of the economy. What matters most is where you are placing your hope. Are you placing your hope first and foremost? Are you placing your trust in God to help you? When your hope is running low, when you don't have the confident expectation, where are you turning? And more specifically, where are you turning first? Do you rack your brain trying to solve the problem, trying to think through the people and the resources and the strategies and the plans? And then if all else fails, then you turn to God. In other words, when do you go to God in prayer? When does prayer enter the picture? Is it first? Is it you know, last? Is it, is it never? And I would encourage you, turn to God first in prayer. God, I don't know what to do. God, I don't, I don't know how to handle this. Lord, all I know is I'm going to put my hope and my trust in you. God, I'm going to rely on you to help lead me and guide me and even resolve this and heal and move and act. God, please show me the way forward. I trust you to help me. I trust in your word to lead me and guide me. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Do you trust in God first? Do you go to God first? Now, it doesn't guarantee the outcome or the results we want, does it? Because we're not going to God because we want the outcome we want. We go to God because we trust in him. We trust him to lead us. We trust his will, no matter the outcome. And when we do that, I can guarantee you this, that God will prove himself faithful, no matter what we're going through. Isaiah chapter 49 says it this way, those who hope in God will not be disappointed. Lamentations chapter three says, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. Psalm 147 says, the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Now, I want to be clear about this. Sometimes we go through the challenges. Sometimes we go through the trials and we're in the thick of it and you can't see the evidence of God working and you're putting your hope in God and you're putting your trust in God. Sometimes it's only in the looking back do we realize, oh my goodness, God was moving. God was acting. God was moving on my behalf. God was protecting me. God was helping me. Sometimes it's only in the looking back that we see the evidence of God's goodness all over our life. So what's the key? The key is just to continually turn to him, to go to him, to trust in him, to place your hope in him, even when you don't see it that you know and believe God will move and God will act as we sang in the worship song that he is the way maker, that he's the miracle worker, that he's the promise keeper, that he's the light in the midst of whatever darkness we are going through. And I just wonder sometimes, man, where do I get that kind of faith? Where do I get that kind of faith to put my hope and my trust and my faith in God? Well, actually, that comes from God. Don't miss this. We actually go to God to get the faith we need to place our hope in God. Let me say it again. 
We go to God to get the faith we need to put our hope in God. Is anybody confused? Paul said it this way. Romans chapter 15, he said, may the God of hope fill you. May God fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says that God is the one who's going to fill you and I with joy and peace. He is the one who's going to fill us with hope. By how? By the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't get hope just because we kind of muster it up. It is God filling us with hope through the, over, through the Holy Spirit. And he said in this passage that we would even overflow with hope. I don't know about you, but I want that. I want to overflow with hope in my life, no matter how hopeless my circumstances or situations may be. So God tells us, calls us, turn to him, put our hope and our faith in God in the beginning, in the middle, at the end, and all in between. See, I think the Apostle Paul figured the key to this. I think the Apostle Paul knew the key to experiencing this God-provided hope. And he figured it's more in focusing on the blessings and the glory of the life to come rather than getting caught up in what we're going through now, rather than get caught up in our present suffering, but to stack our present trials, our present suffering up against the realities of what God has in store for us. Here's how Paul says it, Romans chapter eight. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul says there's no comparison Whatever I'm going through now, whatever you're going through now, Paul says, man, that is nothing compared to what God has in store for us. Remember what Paul said to us earlier. He said to set your sights on the realities of heaven. And when you do that, when you focus on heaven, when you set your minds and your hearts on the things above, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he said, therefore, we're not going to lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, and I don't know about you, the, the older I get and I look in the mirror, the more I see myself wasting away. Is that true for some of you, right? Though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And then Paul says this, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs these light and momentary troubles. So here's what we do. Paul says we fix our eyes not on what is seen, not what's around us, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. See, the, I think the problem is, it's not that we're thinking, it's not about the fact that we're thinking so much about our present issues and problems and challenges. It's that we're thinking far too little about what is to come, the realities of heaven. If you want these problems that are happening and taking place and these challenges and these trials that are taking place in your life, if you want those to be put in their proper place in your life, that they're there, it's not, this isn't called denial, but to have them be in the proper place, to take up the proper amount of space in your heart or in your life, Paul says, then spend more time fixing your sights on the realities of heaven, on what is unseen that's how the pains and the sorrows that threaten to overturn our faith, that's how they shrink. That's how they don't take up massive residence in our life. The prize far outweighs our temporary suffering. Now, some of you might say, oh, that's easy for Paul to say. He calls it 
what I'm going through, temporary, light, and momentary. What I'm going through, pastor, is anything but light and momentary. Okay, let's think about who said that. It was the Apostle Paul. Here's a dude who went through more challenges, more difficulties, more pain, more hardship than you and I could ever possibly imagine going through. And so he knows from experience. He knows. He speaks from experience. He knows what he's talking about. So he says, put your hope in God. It's the only way our current troubles will not overwhelm us and will not overtake us. You see, hope endures. Hope overcomes. It isn't merely wishful thinking. It can withstand our trials. It can withstand the despair that you or I might be experiencing. And why is it that I can stand here today and say with confidence that putting your hope in God, putting your hope in God first and foremost in the beginning, in the middle, and in the end, why can I say that with confidence? Simple. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's his resurrection. Remember, this is Advent season. The first Advent, the coming of Jesus, God prophesied about it. He promised there was a hope among, there was a hope among the people that the Savior was coming. 48 specific messianic prophecies, over 300 prophecies fulfilled in the life of Jesus. And so we can trust if God said, if what God said was true with the first coming, we can know that what Jesus said, and Jesus said, I will die, but I will raise up again. Jesus was died, he was killed, he was crucified, and three days later, he rose from the dead, just as he promised. So you can know that God fulfills his promises. God fulfills his word. He comes through with what he says. So you can trust him with your future. And if you can trust him with your future, of course you can trust him with your today. And so the apostle Peter said it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1, he said, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living what? Into a living hope. Through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Are you ready? Are you ready this season to put all of your hope in God through his son, Jesus Christ? Adventus, Perusia, a season of hope. Not just hope for your eternity, which you can bank on. Prophecies were clear on the first coming. The prophecies are going to be fulfilled on the second coming. Not just for your future, but you can put your hope in God for your present, for your today, for your daily living, as you turn to God to be your help. Would you put your hope and trust in him? Some of you, you maybe have never done that. And God invites you today to take that step. He invites you to give your life to him. And if you choose to invite Jesus into your life, he will come into your life. He will forgive you of your sins. He will give you the promised Holy Spirit who's going to take up residence in your life. He'll give you that gift of eternity with a heavenly father that loves you so, so much. 
and he'll equip you to live the life that he's called you to. Have you said yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Do you have the hope of eternity? I'm gonna invite every one of you to pray with me now. And some of you, you're gonna pray this prayer for you know the 10th time, the 100th time, the 1,000th time. Some of you might pray this for the very first time, inviting Jesus into your life for the first time. And so no matter who you are, let's go to God in faith and in prayer. Pray with me now. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we come before you today as we think about your first coming and with an anticipation of your second coming, as we focus on this hope that we have, hope for our future, but hope for today also. And you promise to be with us. You promise, God, we won't, be, we won't go through more than we can bear. You promise that you will give us your peace and your, your, you will give us your joy. God, there's so many promises you have for our life today. And so God, we turn to you right now. So I want to invite everybody right now to turn to God. Say something like this. Say, Lord Jesus, Lord God, I know that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross, to be my savior, to be my Lord. So I accept him as my Lord, as my savior that I'm not gonna live for myself, I'm living for him. And so I trust Jesus to lead me and guide me. I put my hope and faith in Jesus for my salvation. I trust in Jesus and I put my hope in him for my daily living. God, thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me hope. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to experience the life you have for me. My life is yours. I surrender to you. And it's in your name, Jesus, that I pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.